0: hot in here. Um, We're going on with, um, um, we're not under law, we're under grace. Do you remember we got to um, Romans chapter 6 and uh, that would be verse 14, wouldn't it? We're not under law, under grace. Amen? You know, it's um, one of the things that is interesting is uh, going back into church history, and just over the last day or two, I've been reading uh, a lovely book on the revivals of uh, uh, religion throughout the world by a chap called uh, John Smiley. If I get the name right, is it Gillies, Gilly? Gilly? Um, and it's a beautiful book and one of the things he does he goes through revivals and the interesting thing is that you know the apostasy came in in the year 300 um, AD and uh, the papal dynasty arose then and um, of course there was the great trials that people went through and uh, we got to the year, um, actually about the year 1452 at the moment, uh, when they started to murder the Moravians and uh, the uh, brethren who were there who believed God, and the big thing that uh, was co- the cause of murder, and so many people were martyred, and I'm talking about the noblemen, the scholars who basically learnt Greek and Hebrew was that they would not bow to papal dynasty or to Rome and um, the reason was that there's the worship of what they call the host in other words the worship of the wafer and the wine which of course uh, was an error that was carried on to the church of the Reformation. Um, and, of course, it's part of the synagogue of Satan, which, as I say, we'll come to when we get to Revelation. But it's interesting to note that all the people who wanted the simplicity of the gospel and to do away with the trappings of religion, the vestments, the altars, the sacrilegious crosses, candles, um, the uh, so-called sacraments, of um bread you know little wafers and wine and blessing it and the pagan customs of offering it to an idol because you can't offer that to god all that caused them to be sawn asunder be beheaded um there was in one case there was 1,600 were cast in alive into an old copper mine uh others um In another place, about 3,000 cast alive into a copper mine. Men, women and children, a whole lot. Others were just beheaded. Others were burnt at the stake. Others, they just gorged out their eyes with red hot irons. These are the people that worship the host. Now, of course, at this time, in this age, there's no real standing up against it. The Christians of today won't stand up against the wicked Romanish spirit, or the Anglican spirit, or the spirit of Babel and the synagogue of Satan. Hence, you get peace. But when you do begin to rise up against it and declare against its spirit, you wait to see what persecution will rise up. When you stand against the synagogue of Satan, and every time men stood up, um, Haas stood up against it, and men like that, they stood out for what they knew to be the truth of God in the Holy Scriptures, and they declared it forth. Immediately, the religious people got in a rage, and then persecution ensued. And nowadays, of course, the persecution's a little more civilized. Um, they won't actually uh, scourge out your eyes, not your physical eyes. What they'll do is spend their time trying to scourge you and, and they'll go around spreading all manner of slander and lies about you and they'll try and murder you, not not with um, truth or doing it in your physical, but doing it behind your back with their little smiley, snide remarks, just as wicked and as scourging. And in that day judgment will come to them because they're going to have to answer the great king in that great notable day of the lord for they're of the synagogue of satan but it's interesting to note when you start reading the history do you realize that men hundreds of thousands upon thousands upon thousands of men were burnt at the stake were beheaded were tortured to death were buried alive, were sawn asunder for the truths that man today is willing to let go and compromise on. Other men were prepared to die to keep those truths. But today in the church everyone wants to compromise it's called you know all being of one spirit or let's all get baptized in one spirit let's all join together it doesn't matter exactly what you believe the little differences doesn't matter i wonder what the blood of those saints cries out i wonder what the blood of the saints in england crying out against the falsehood of ecumenicalism, of charismaticism. Don't you wonder? People who knew that their lives and their families had to be given up. What about the early Quakers who died in prison, starved to death, chained to gallows, left to rot in fields, having their land pilfered from them by the Anglican church? The church of the Reformation, having the, everything taken, their crops burned, by the so-called priests. And do you think those priests are of a different spirit today than they were in those days? Nay. The only thing is, light is so weak in the Christian church that Satan doesn't even bother to oppose it. That's the problem Would to God he raised up men who were prepared to declare against it. When you declare against it, you're declared a fanatic. So we are. Aren't we? I'm fanatical. I hate it. I hate the host that they worship. I hate the false Babylon. I hate the harlots, don't you? I hate the synagogue of Satan and nor would I worship in it and nor do I want fellowship with the people that would worship in it. And that's what the scripture teaches. And those men laid down their lives and were cruelly persecuted and murdered. But we might have the truth and what have we done with it in our country? What have we done with truth? why we've told people sing little ditties say banana backwards speak in tongues and you're filled with the Holy Ghost doesn't matter whether you're Catholic or Anglican or Methodist or this or that you know we're all together we're all one in spirit liars how could I be one in spirit with people who are the uh, descendants of those who murdered my brethren tell me say well you should forgive everyone God's not going to forgive him am I greater than God well is he is God going to forgive him no he's not and I'm not going to go on compromise I don't consider myself greater than God you might consider yourself more loving and more embracing than God God's not going to embrace them And you know, it stirs me up every time I read it. It just stirs something within me. And I say, oh God, you know, if people let their blood be spilt on the fields for this, if they allowed their families to be murdered for this, if they had to give up their wives and children for this, surely we should stand up for it too. No one's going to murder you. At least, not just at the moment. Although, if the socialists get back in, or the SDP, which is the same thing, just different colour, then, believe me, it won't be long before they start hailing you to prison. It'll start with that you just won't obey the laws of, of, you know, the state can tell you what to believe and what to teach and what to do. That's how it'll start. But it won't be long before communism is totally rife in our country. So why don't we take advantage of the freedoms we have while they're still remaining, hmm? Why don't we declare forth while we've still got some freedom? You know, it's going to upset a lot of people. But I tell you, it's about time there was a group of people that would stand up for light. I wonder what John Knox would say. I wonder what George Fox would say. I wonder what Wesley would say. Well, actually, I don't wonder, I know. The the mobs, the bishops, they came at him, they raged at him and ranted at him, they banned him from preaching. What did he do? He just carried on. They paid mobs to go and murder Wesley. The bishops paying mobs to go and murder him. What a spirit, huh? They used to pay people to go to court and swear out false warrants against the Quakers. That was the clergy. They'd pay them. Pay them to perjure themselves and take oaths. And the descendants, do you think they're of a different spirit? Same synagogue when I start reading, I think, well, I don't know, you know. What have we done? Tell you what would do this country good, a little real persecution. Why? You'd find those religious people would lose their religion just like that. Church? Well, you know, well, of course, I believed in Christ, but it was the way I was brought up, you know. I mean, I wasn't really serious, you know. You wait and see. There wouldn't be that many. You wouldn't get two in a church if they thought their lives were at risk. Would you? Wouldn't see them for dust. Why, they'd adopt what everyone else believed. What hypocrites. And there you were. You want to get hold of it. If you don't believe me, get hold of the history of the early church. And get read, start reading the way that the papal and the, the Reformed church persecuted the true saints of God and murdered them. And then you, you'll begin to see the spirit that, that is behind it all. the Antichrist spirit. People say, "Well, you can stay in it and change it. Who here believes they can convert Satan? Hmm? well you won't convert the people in this synagogue either that's for sure say well that's a bit strong (laughs) well it's just something that every time I read it I just wonder you know my wife sometimes said to me well isn't that a bit hard on the Anglicans well it's mild really Comparison to what they deserve when you realize how many of your family were murdered, how many of your family have been burnt at the stake to buy truths of God, and yet people will let them go. Do you honestly believe, you know, like the Catholics believe, that a little salt on the tongue is going to drive devils out of a baby? Hmm? that's what they believe that's why they do it do you believe that a sprinkling of an infant will make a child regenerate and a child of God that's what the reformed church believes do you honestly believe that when a bishop confirms people they're filled with the Holy Ghost do you believe when they get up and they hold up a little bit of bread in front of a gilt cross, that it, it means anything? Or when they bless the wine and hold their hands over it, that some great kind of mystical power's in the wine? That's what the Reformed Church believes. And men died for that. Hundreds of thousands of them were burnt at the stake because they wouldn't accept it. And yet I find people today playing footsie with them. God deliver us from such wicked people who would want to worship in the synagogue of Satan. Now you might find it offensive, but it's the truth. How can someone stand up a priest with a dog collar on and say in the face of God and in the name of Jesus Christ this child is now regenerate when it's a total lie and claim to be a Christian is it normal to pray to God and tell him lies And it wicked Hmm? it's a lie, it's hypocrisy how can you take a little bit of bread and you stick it on people's tongues or plonk it in their hands and they hold their hands cross and stuff it in their mouth and they've blessed it and do you know you mustn't leave any of it over you'll see the priest gobbling it all up and swigging it all back at the end because it's now sacred it's been blessed Isn't that idolatry and superstition of the worst kind? Hmm? And bowing to a gilt cross and candles and an altar. As though God's hiding under the canopy. What a lie. And turning round to face the east as though there's some great virtue in mumbling I believe in one God, the Father Almighty and going off in a mumble which half of them don't even understand what it means and yet, when I read church history I find out that there were all these wonderful Christian men who lived by the word of God who read their Bibles who sought God's face diligently who prayed and fasted who were burnt at the stake who were sawn asunder because they wouldn't go and accept the host, that little bit of bread and the wine. And they wouldn't bow or go to confession and wouldn't acknowledge the priests and wouldn't pay tithes to wicked men who had no ministry and declared against a pope in his golden coat or an archbishop in his Lambeth Palace. You want to know what the synagogue of Satan is? That's it. You say, well, it doesn't look that bad today. They're not quite as archaic today as they were. No, Satan sometimes changes to a minister of light until he gets a government in power that'll let him persecute and murder. At the moment, they can't do it. But when they get power with communism, and you wait and see, they're licensed preachers they'll murder the true saints. They're just waiting their time. It's all the same spirit. You say, well, you don't like that idea. No, I don't like the idea. Trouble is, it's true. And when we come on to Revelation, we're going to study the synagogue of Satan. However, we're studying Romans at the moment. But I saw when I got to reading it, I thought back and I thought, oh Lord, you know, How can men and women with any ounce of integrity let go your truths? One of them that has been purchased with the blood of martyrs. How could we let it go? If we knew that people had been sawn in half, burnt at the stake, had their limbs cut off, had their heads chopped off, been hung upside down. One man was hung upside down for a whole year before he came before his inquisitors he wouldn't even turn up the right way to go to the toilet poor man, he lived in filth and squalor a whole year and then these so-called religious clergy came and questioned him and when he went to the fire to be burnt he turned round to them and said I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and I commit my soul to him and I look forward to meeting him in glory this very day as for you he said within a hundred years you're going to face the judgment of God for such wicked things they couldn't break those men's spirits and they couldn't get them to compromise in anything they just wouldn't compromise and they used to threaten them they would said they'd murder their families in front of their eyes they still wouldn't change they said murder us, burn us at the stake, behead us if you will. But we only go to a better place. You can't hurt us. Death holds no fear for us. Torture won't hurt us. For we believe in a Christ of God and we go to him. And so they withstood it all. Wonder how many people Got that spirit in them. Hmm? Different, isn't it? And then you think that people just let go and they glibly say, oh, well, you know, we've all got to learn to love one another and join together and it doesn't exactly matter what the doctrine... Ugh. God says, you're neither hot nor cold. I'll spew you out of my mouth. Lukewarm... God said that. The mixture God hates. When someone's neither hot nor cold, you know, is a mixture. Lukewarmness. A mixture of the synagogue of Satan and truths of God, all mixed together. That's why there's no revival. You know, I read a, Article. My wife, I think, has probably read it too. Where some man's got a vision that there's going to be revival in Bradford. Yeah. Mind you, I've heard people have visions of revivals everywhere. So who believes any of that junk? But this chap has got this vision. Of course, it's going to happen amongst the discipleship people. They've laid claim to it. I dare say the Pentecostals will, and the Anglicans will, and the Charismatics will. Everyone will believe it's for them. I don't think God's going to revive it at all. Do you? Not until there's light. Do you know the one thing that the revival in Argentina did? It cast off the Roman and Popish spirit right off the country. People gave up religion. They gave up the religion of the Pope. They gave up Anglican religion, the, the English people that had got out there and they either got saved or, or quit would to God that happened in this country instead of these people that are going about wolves in sheep's clothing with pretty smiles and intellectual voices and good degrees from university and they're telling you they're going to bring revival and they'll stand there and sing in their multitudes, Bind us together, Lord, bind us together. Yeah. Well, of course, in the synagogue of Satan, you need to be bound. So I suppose there's truth in it. The wrong Lord. Would to God I was wrong, but I'm not. You've only got to start reading. Get hold of the book. it would do you good to read it. It is, wouldn't it, Peter? Do them good. Uh, £10.50, the book. But it'll take you about a year to read it. Big, thick tome, but it'll do you good. You'll never, ever again suggest that you should compromise on doctrine when you find out how many people suffered preserve the purity of that delivered by the apostles and the apostles never ever delivered a pagan building with altars and crosses and that is that what they delivered to us? (sighs) makes me mad And then it goes on, says Paul, in Romans chapter 6, verse 14. But we are coming to the synagogue of Satan, and, you know, I'm going to spend about two weeks studying it. And if people don't like it, they can lump it. But um, the interesting thing is, you might find you're a member of it. Got his mark upon your forehead. You meddle with it. Why? It's one thing I want deliverance from, don't you? All false religion. Anyway, it says here in in Romans chapter 6, verse 14, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. And if you remember last time we were talking about what it meant. To be not under law, but under grace. Do you remember? And what did we decide it meant not to be under law? What does it mean to be under law? Come on. Hmm? Under? Under the rule of sin. No, under law, I said. That will bring you under the rule of sin. Of course it will. Uh, It'll bring you under the reign of sin because the strength of sin is what? The law. Remember we discovered that the strength of sin is the law. Now, the one thing about someone who's under law is that it's by outward works that he tries to please God and earn his salvation. Now, what it doesn't mean when we say we're not under law is that we can then have license to do what we like. That is false. That is what that wicked man Gerald Coates wrote in his terrible book, Not Under Law or Under Grace. He suggested that you could do what you like because you were no un- longer under law. That is total error. What it means is we're not under law because we're not trying to live up to a standard in order to attain salvation we realize that there's nothing we can do there's none justified in the sight of god no not one we're justified by faith and that not of yourself it's the gift of god not of works lest any man should boast okay so we're not justified by that so we have no standards to live up to There's no, um, you know, I must do this, I must do that, I must do the other. Now if I live up to that, then I'll go to heaven. That's rubbish. I'm not under law in that sense. And I'm not under the law of my conscience, trying to live up to it. I'm outside of that, but I'm under grace. And in the kingdom of grace, I am under a different law. I'm under the law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And that life sets me free from the law of sin and death. Do you understand? So when I come into the kingdom of God and the kingdom of grace, and I'm not under law but I'm under grace, the thing that it means is not that I can do what I want because there's no law, but now I live according to Jesus Christ's precepts and I obey the King of kings and the Lord of lords who has rule in that kingdom. Because I've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear Son. So I have to live according to that kingdom. Now that's different from what people put it over to mean, isn't it? In other words, I've become a slave to Jesus Christ whereas once I was a slave to the precepts of man and religion, now I become a slave to Jesus Christ and the whole thing is different now of course when I become a slave to Jesus Christ and I come under his precepts one of the first things I need to understand is that Christ is the way the truth and the life now if he's the way the truth and the life it means that I can't live according to my light. I've got to live according to his light. I can't live according to my truth I've got to live according to his truth I can't dodge things and say oh well uh, it's alright I'll do it my way that I can't do I've got to live according to God. And you see, coming into Christ's kingdom means too that I can't be subject to the law and precepts of man. I've got to be subject to the law and the precepts of God. And that is the greatest power. Now, of course, I should obey every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, but I can't be subject to it and I can't attain my salvation by it. I can only attain my salvation by walking in the ways of God. Now Christ has set certain truths in his kingdom. Because he's king, there are certain truths. The most important truth is there is only one King of Kings, Jesus Christ. Only one Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. Only one who's risen from the dead, Jesus Christ. Only one seated in the throne, Jesus Christ, our forerunner. say, well, we're seated in him. True. But I'm not seated in my own right on the throne in heaven. I'm seated in him. I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, not on my own right. I've no right of my own. So I have to submit my life, my being, and my everything to Christ. And once I begin to grasp that and lay hold of it, I begin to see everything in a different perspective. Do you realize that the truths of God as they are revealed in Scripture are the only touchstone we must live by. The truths of God as revealed in the book, nothing that man adds, no trappings, no trimmings that man has added, have any sway in God's kingdom. This is the only touchstone. All I can do is believe this book and live by it. No prayer book has any place No tradition, no denomination or abomination has any place. Only God's word. That is the touchstone and it's the simplicity of Christ. No uh, pagan festivals, no pagan rituals have any place in God's kingdom if I want to live in the kingdom of grace. Now, you might not like it, but that is so. It's horrific when you realize that people step out of grace and under law purely because they will compromise themselves out of Christ's standard. And they compromise themselves out of Christ's way. Imagine it in that day. Imagine how they're going to be in that day when they realize that what they've done wasn't at all founded in God or in truth. Hmm? Can you imagine it? What's God going to say to them? Now, don't forget, it's taken in the context of everything else that we've been saying about Romans, so don't take it out of that context. Let's look on then. there's... Um, we're basically in the New Covenant, and the New Covenant gives us access to God. And if you look in Hebrews chapter 8, Under grace. Hebrews chapter 8. And he says... um, talking of the first covenant, he said, For if the, that first had been faultless, then should there be no place sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. I want you to notice that when you read that, uh, don't get trapped by the error that's propagated by charismatics and evangelicals that say that the old covenant wasn't sufficient. The old covenant, as I said, and the law could never give life. It wasn't designed to. Do you remember we talked about that last time? But... The thing that is true is that the, co- the law was good. It was man that didn't keep it. God said, they continued not in my covenant. If they'd continued in it, God would have blessed them and kept his word to them. They refused to continue in it. For, says he, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts and I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people and they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying know the Lord for all shall know me from the least to the greatest for I will have mercy to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In that he set a new covenant if made the first old. Now that which which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Now the covenant is ready to vanish away. But I want you to notice something. And this is where the error comes in of the people who would like to do away with the Old Testament. The covenant was ready to vanish away. The covenant that God made with his people Israel was ready to vanish away. But it doesn't say that the laws were. There is difference between a covenant that God makes between his people and the covenant was that he was going to give them the land, wasn't it? And they weren't going to be ill and there were certain promises but it's totally different from the law. The law God never said would vanish away. And the precepts and laws that God has put in the universe have never ever been intended to vanish away. Now what people have done is they've taken a covenant which means a promise and they've said, ah, the old promise means that the Old Testament has vanished away. A lie. The Old Covenant is not the whole of the Old Testament. In fact, if you want to know There were nine covenants in the Old Testament. And sometime, when we've got time and we've done Revelation and Romans, we might come on to deal with the nine covenants. I'll just give you an example of one of the covenants, just in case you don't know. There was the covenant to Noah. The covenant to Noah said that God would never ever bring another deluge that would flood the whole earth, didn't he? And as a seal of that covenant, He put a rainbow in the sky. Now, does anyone believe that that covenant has vanished away? No. No, because if you go into certain places, you see a rainbow. Now, I know scientists will tell you that that's caused by refraction of light. And so, doubtless it might be. Or doubtless it might not be. I have no idea which it is what I do know is God put it there and so when the sun begins to shine after the rain I see a rainbow in the sky as God said it would be now is that not so now that covenant hasn't vanished away has it alright let me give you another covenant God promised that the uh, woman's uh, the seed of woman was going to bruise the serpent's head alright did that covenant get kept yeah now that was a covenant God made with mankind the whole of mankind now God also made a covenant with Abraham God said to Abraham that his his um, descendants were going to be as the stars in heaven, in one case, talking of the heavenly people, that's the true Christians. And then he talked about the sand on the seashore, talking of the earthly Israel um, in two different places. He first talked about the sand on the seashore, then he talked about the heavenly one. Um, Now, God made two promises to Abraham, and those promises are still promises that God keeps. Now, you see, what you have to understand is when you start reading the Bible don't take one word like covenant and then assume that it means the whole of the Bible, uh, the Old Testament. I, I know a lot of people in fact there are groups that I know around the country one where Ed Miller went to in Birmingham you know and when he started trying to share truths from the, the Old Testament they stopped him and said ah just a minute that doesn't apply to us that's Old Covenant So then he went to Hebrews and they said, oh, just a minute, that doesn't apply to us, that's Old Covenant. Then he went somewhere else and they said, oh, just a minute, that was spoken by Jesus before Calvary. And then he went somewhere else and they said, oh, just a minute, that's for his return in the millennium when you're on earth. And so he handed them the Bible and he said, you tell me which little bit I can preach from for today. They were charismatics. But you see, that's a total misunderstanding of what God's saying. What God's saying here is, as Paul puts it, later on in Romans, he said, look, the people of God, the Israelites, didn't keep the covenant that God had made with them, therefore God's cast them off. But he hasn't cast off the covenant with Abraham or with Noah or with mankind There are many covenants and promises which are in the Old Testament. He hasn't cast off the promises to Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel. They all apply to us today as a spiritual people. And what we have to understand is there's a great mistake when people come and they take the word covenant and immediately conclude that means everything up to Malachi. That is not the Old Covenant. In fact, I will go further and say that Abraham is in the New Covenant and always was. Because he's the father of the faithful. And he was justified by faith. Therefore, Abraham always was in the New Covenant. So, well, how can that be? David, King David, was in the New Covenant. Elijah was. Enoch walked with God and was not. He was in the New Covenant too. So, well, I thought the New Covenant started at Calvary. No, it started when the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. So, well, how can that be? Well, I don't know, but that's the way it is. <laughs> uh, um, God just arranged it that way. So, do understand, when we're talking about writing the laws in the minds and in the hearts, you also remember last time when we were talking about it, that the Gentiles by nature do that which is in the Lord. Do you remember? We read that scripture. And you'll find that there are some people that enter into covenant promises without knowing about the covenant. And so that's the way it is. There was a... Uh, oh, I get it all the wrong way around. What is it, George? Sadhu Sundar Singh. Is that right? Sadhu Sundar Singh. Uh, India. And he sat in a mountain. And he sat there and meditated. And he meditated and meditated until he entered into the new covenant. Now, he wasn't converted by gospel preaching. He was converted by the Spirit of God. He sought God with his whole heart and God met him and he became an ardent Christian great evangelist without ever hearing the gospel, except by the Spirit of God, direct. He didn't receive it from man's teaching. Now, that just shows you, you see, he moved through the covenants quite easily. And we want to get off and out of our minds the narrow kind of idea we've got and concept we've got of what the covenant with Israel was. God will choose out whom he will, when he will, how he will. Sometimes he uses the foolishness of preaching, sometimes he just sends an angel. No one came to Mary and said, Mary, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt conceive a son. An angel just happened to hop in one day and said, Mary, Hail Mary, blessed art thou amongst women. The poor angel must be so embarrassed now fancy that every Sunday I bet his feathers ruffle on his wings every time he hears them start the Hail Mary and thinks oh why was I sent with that message Hail Mary dear oh dear I'm sure his feathers turn kind of whatever way they turn an angel. Now he has six wings, so don't think that I'm exaggerating. Uh, so, and then you know the wings will have feathers. They're gold, but they they are feathers. And there they are. Can you imagine his feelings when he hears them say "Hail Mary"? But God sent an angel, and then to Zachariah, God sent an angel. Daniel, God sent an angel. Why? To John on Patmos. God sent an angel. Turned out that the angel was only a saint who'd gone before and was glorified, but as I say, we all become angels or devils eventually. You're developing into one or the other, a demon or an angel, and um, you'll have a different glorified body then. And depends what you go up to in your spiritual uh, life as to what type of angel you become it's going to be quite interesting really did you know that the interesting thing is do you know the, the highest form you can get to who knows the highest form you can get to huh Pun? pardon Well, I mean, yeah, but he'll be in the other place, George. You don't want to become him, do you? He's he's down below, where it's warm, with everlasting fire. No, well, actually, you see, what God has reserved for the true people who don't defile themselves with women, that doesn't mean people who haven't got married, as the papal dynasty would like us to believe, thank God. Uh, it's talking about the Jezebels, you know, and the harlots and uh, the false churches. Defiling yourself with them, of course, you miss out. But the 144,000, which is only a figurative number, of the number the saved, you see. They haven't got to the highest place. They're just among on the new, you know, the glassy sea. Um, but then you see there's another figurative number, which is growing up. And that is the 24 elders, which is figurative speaking of those who have moved on into an overcoming position. But then there are those who are the elect, who go on. And they actually are amongst the four beasts, which are actually cherubim. And so what God has ordained for the sons of God, the very thing that Satan aspired to when he said, I shall be like God. And he was the most beautiful creature. And God cast him out of heaven. The reason he hates mankind so much is he realizes that God's robbed him and thrown him into hell. But mankind's going to take the the place of the cherubim who are going to be the covering of God. At the very closest part, they'll be part of the throne. That's why when the Ark of the Covenant was made, you've got the two cherubim in one piece of gold going over the mercy seat. That was to show that in our salvation the covering of God is going to be the elect. We're going to be cherubim. What a glorious thing. And they're the highest creatures in the whole of God's creation. That's what the saints are going to end up as. Now you might say, well you don't like that piece of doctrine. Well I can prove it from scripture and when we do our study in Revelation we're going to come on to that. But the moment we're not and it's also in ezekiel um and it's interesting to note that um that's why john i mean you can just easily see it from scripture john when john fell down to worship the angel that came to talk with him he said stand up i'm i'm as one of your brethren you see what john hadn't realized he'd got a glorified body so he saw him as an angel he was only one of the brethren one of the elect, that's why I could take John and show him all those things. He had an understanding of how John felt. But he had got a glorified body now. But that's another story in eternity which we will come on to when we study the book. Um, But it's useful to know. It's exciting, isn't it? Imagine you're going to have six wings. That's wonderful, isn't it? Imagine your size. Well, you won't be able to imagine it. And you say, "Well, is that for everyone?" No, it's not for everyone because there are not everyone will get there. You see, amongst before the elect, there are also the four and twenty elders. Now, the interesting thing is that the cherubim or the four beasts are the people in heaven who lead the worship of God. They're followed by the four and twenty elders who are part of uh, the leading of the worship. They fall down. Always the four beasts? Or the four cherubim which are on the throne? They lead in the worship of God. And then you get the four and twenty elders, which is only a figurative number, not a literal number. Um, Don't think there's only 24 who are going to make it. It's a figurative number of those. And those people... Uh, you will find as the overcomers. And then beyond that, you get those who are the uh, ones clad in white robes who are on the sea before the throne. Now, they're not as near. And then you get the nations that are saved on the new earth. So you see, you've got degrees of people in truth, coming into truth and entering into what God has prepared for them. That's why Jesus said, there are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. Now it might be your place is on the new earth. Now don't worry, you can go in and out of the city, but you can't abide in it if you're on the new earth. Say, well, how do you know where you are? Well, when we do Revelation, we'll come on to that. But um, we're not going to discuss that now. In Romans chapter 6, we're dealing with Hebrews, aren't we? The new covenant that's the way it is now you might say well aren't you a heretic yeah well it's interesting to note that all the puritans of old and i'm talking about uh, Ramsay, ramsey not, nothing to do with it that <laughs> Ramsay, god deliver us um he was a wicked man but ramsey the puritan um and, and then there was watson thomas watson Or you go back and you'll find, let's take uh, George Fox, or you take Penn, Pennington, uh, or you take uh, uh, the Methodist, uh, Wesley. Wesley has a lot to say about the angelic ministry. Uh, Or you take um, Booth. All those men knew all about the angelic order and how things worked. That's why sometimes it's useful to read these people. And uh, you'll find that it's all in Scripture and very clear in the prophecies. And so it's interesting, you know, to know. It's nice to know what type of body you're going to have, isn't it? And what you're going to look like. Don't you want to know what you're going to look like? Hmm? It's nice to know. So, well, how does it help you? Well, it just helps in faith, you know. You know, I find it's a a blessed thing when you start studying it. Anyway, we're still in Hebrews. And this new covenant, as you remember, is not negating all the covenants before. It's just negating the covenant that Israel was the chosen people and they were the only chosen now there's a time of the dispensation of the Gentiles and it's only in that area that God has made the old pass away and a new one's been brought in which has extended salvation to Jew and Gentile alike it is not suggesting that the law or the laws that God's put in the universe or the law of God in the Old Testament has been done away with at all that is total error and when you understand and begin to understand that, you can see the lies that have been sown in so many hearts. That's why Peter could write that all the Gentiles are to do is to abstain from things strangled and offered to idols, from eating them, you see, because we, we aren't the Judaic having to, to come and, and keep precepts that God had set for the Israelites we haven't got to do that but on the other hand the laws and the precepts that god's put throughout his kingdom we've got to keep the commandments were never disannulled you understand that dear um it, it's a deception how many of you thought when it meant old covenant it just took the virtually the old testament as a whole you know virtually how many of you were taught that in the past virtually go and put up your hands You see, now, you do see the difference, don't you? Do you all see the difference? You can clearly see that it's talking just about one promise. Otherwise, if it were true, there should be no rainbows now. Should there? I mean, just to give you an example. And we should all be able to walk back into the Garden of Eden. if it were true. Okay, let's go on then. Excuse me. Um, Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2 we get these words and these are important words to understand for someone who believes they're under grace. Wherefore in Philippians chapter 2 and wherefore stands for what? It stands for a conclusion coming from what was said before and in your own time read what was said before. Um, Wherefore my beloved as you have obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. How are you to work out your salvation? I want you to notice this, that that is an exhortation to Christians. Now, the... the, charismatic idea of oh we're under grace hallelujah glory to God you know we're free hallelujah and and dancing and there's no fear and trembling within them that is a false religion God says work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it's God who worketh in you so in other words I've got to have a real fear of God a fear to offend him is part of the gospel and if I haven't got that I haven't got the truth. Otherwise, Paul, when he wrote to the Philippians, was saying an error, wasn't he? Hmm? You see, there has to be the sense where I mustn't allow sin to reign in my mortal body. I've been delivered. Hallelujah. I can sing those wonderful songs about being set free, but I know that I've got to walk in that freedom, I've got to mortify the deeds of the flesh, and I've got to work out my salvation in fear and trembling, not with presumption. It's no good me saying, well, I'm a son of God, I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, hallelujah, glory to God, isn't it wonderful, all Jesus has done, just come and get it, fellows, we'll pray for you, you can fall over, and it's all in, you know, all done, salvation's free, hallelujah, Just come to the altar, you know, and we'll meet you. God will meet with you. You just ask him. Don't worry, he'll bless you. What a blasphemy. Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, how does that fit into their doctrine? Hmm? Doesn't. Okay, let's just make sure that that's not, you know, a mistake. Ephesians chapter 1. Okay, and we read this in Ephesians 1 and verse 2 grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love now we have it says here all spiritual blessings in Christ in heavenly places we have all spiritual blessings alright in Christ now that positionally is true positionally that's how I am in Christ but I do wish to point out to you that I live on earth and I would be totally and utterly deluded if I thought that I was living in the fullness of all those spiritual blessings now. Now, there's a lot of people that take that position and claim it for themselves. Well, why haven't you got a glorified body? Why haven't you got perfect health? Why haven't you got perfect knowledge? If so be, you're living in, in its fullness now. It's deception but there are a lot of people that take a positional truth that's true in the eternals and then they try and work it out as experimental truth on the earth. That is where deception is. You remember we talked about the difference between positional truth and experimental truth. The moment we're discussing the experimental. Alright, we've got to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who worketh in us. You all understand the difference? Okay, let us go on then and look at. 2 Peter, the second epistle of Peter. Chapter 1. Okay. Now look at this, it says um, in verse 3, according, oh let's take verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, of Jesus our Lord rather, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. All right? All right. Now, all things that pertain to life and godliness have been given to us, haven't they? Haven't they? Well, would you all agree with that? All right. Now, if you took that as experimental, you'd be wrong. It's positional. And I'll tell you why it's positional, because if you have the brains to read on, you'll see it must be. Okay, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. Now the great promises are given that we might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind, and cannot see afar off, and have forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, that you know them and be established in the present truth. Now, how, if you've got all things that pertain to life and godliness... Can you add uh, to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity, if you've already got all those things in abundance? You couldn't add to them, could you? Hm? But you have to add to them. Now you have to add to them by living. So one is a positional truth that's true in God, and because it's true in God, and those divine promises are left us in God, therefore we become partakers of the divine nature through those promises, and because we know that's our position, therefore we live the life that causes us to add to our faith virtue, virtue patience. In other words, it's because we know where we are positionally that we work it out experimentally. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not that you claim that you have it positionally and therefore it's automatic experimentally. It's not. You've got to work out your salvation. You've got to add to your, um, what God's done in your life, in your soul. You've got to add. You've got to begin to work it out and live it in your flesh. It's not sufficient to say, oh, well, that's mine positionally. There are a lot of people who are claiming, oh, I've got that in God, hallelujah, I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ, and they think they've arrived. The trouble is, they haven't, that's theirs positionally, but the promise is there positionally in order that they'll become a partaker of the divine nature and then work it out with fear and trembling and work it into their lives, adding godliness. You say, well, isn't that a contradiction? Of course it is. One is positional, the other is experimental. Now Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. That's the truth, the scripture tells us that. But there was a day when he came down to earth, he was born of a virgin Mary, he grew up, he was taken by wicked men, they took him in their hands, they crucified him and he died and was buried and rose again from the dead. Now, you say, but he was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. So he was. That was positionally where he was. That had happened in the spirituals. That was it. But, experimentally, he had to come down and live the life, walk on earth holy, and lay down his life, die, be buried, and resurrected. Even though the positional was true, the experimental had to work out. And the same is true of you and I. The positional's true. The experimental is what we're working out now to get to the positional. In other words, I'm living from where I am in reality toward it. I haven't got there. Positionally, I'm there. And because I'm positionally there, I'm working out my own salvation with fear and trembling. And at the end, I'll arrive where I always was. But I'm not there until I've got there. Though I am there, and the only reason I can get there is because I already was. And that's as plain as mud. Okay, you say, well, I don't quite understand it. Well, I'll just make it simple for you. Turn with me back to Ephesians 1. It probably is a little too complicated for a simple seed. Um, Okay, look at it in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse... um, Okay, let's take it um, from verse 2. Blessed um, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God and Father our Lord Jesus Christ who have blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places according as he have chosen us before the foundation of the world in him before the foundation of the world we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestinated unto us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of, uh, of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the blood, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also, after ye heard the word of truth and the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory." Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and the love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding, being enlightened, that you might know what is the hope of his calling, and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power, to us, Lord, who believe according to to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come all right now basically having read that you know I I didn't want to spend too long on it Uh, but um when you read it, you realize that it's talking about the death of Christ, you see, um, down um, in verse 20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him in his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all the principalities of power. Now, you realize that that's talking about the death of Christ, but that happened in time. And yet, here in verse 4, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, before the foundation of the world, you were chosen in God, that you should be holy and without blame before him in love, before the foundation of the world. And yet, because you're chosen in him then, and that is your position in reality, yet there comes a time of working out in the same way that Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world, there came a time when he had to fulfill it. Now we are fulfilling our lives now. We are in God, we're predestinated into God, there's no way we won't arrive there because God's going to make us there because everything works according to the counsel of his own will. And no matter what you try and do, God's going to get you there. Now it might be the way you get there is by two furrows. That's your heel marks as he drags you. But he'll get you there because he's predestinated you in him, if so be you're truly one of his. So you'll all get there and we're living actually on this life to where we actually are. The reality is we're already in him, holy and blameless. say, but I'm down here and I'm all in a mess. That's true. But you see, you're living to there. Now, because you know you're there, even though you're here, you can, by faith, work it out. Abraham was told he was to be the father of many nations 20 years before he had any children. Yet he just believed God. What God said was true. Now positionally it was true in God. Experimentally it took a long time before Sarah conceived and had a child. The positional was reality. As far as Abraham was concerned, God had said it and that was it. What he had said he was able to perform God positionally has promised you're going to be holy and without blame before him in love and you're going to be in salvation and all the power of God is working to bring you there. Now that is the truth positionally. Now all you have to do is believe that and work out your own salvation with fear and trembling down here and you'll find that you'll arrive there because you believe you're there. Even though you know you're here and experimentally you've got to work it out. What you mustn't do is deceive yourself and think you've already arrived. You've got to live where you are. I am what I am, said Paul, by the grace of God. There was a day at the end of his life where he said, I've run the race, I've finished the course. Henceforth he's laid up for me a crown. But he'd done it. He realised he'd run all the way he'd got to go and now he was ready just to step into glory because his crown was there and he'd already attained it but for most of us we haven't got that far what we know is there is a crown way off and we've got a long way to run to get it now because we know we're going to arrive we can have faith to believe God you were predestined in him before the foundation of the world you'll get there, don't worry about that, don't have any doubts the only doubt you need to have is just how hard it's going to be now that is the only worry experimentally you've got to work it out that's all that's what it means by being in grace not under law confidence in the faithfulness of God God who worketh in you but willing to do of his good pleasure he'll get you there never fear because it says here he'd chosen us in him before the foundation of the world so there's no way that God who's working everything out um Okay, verse 11. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him that worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Now, who believes in free will here? That's right. Who believes in it? Who's got free will? What have you got free will to do? Have you? On what basis do you say that? Pardon? Who who thinks you've got who else thinks have got free will? Well, I, I don't want to publish too loudly what she said um, for her sake. Um, but let me explain something to you. Okay, if you believe that, look, Love and, and, and Francis and the others that put up your hand. Look in, look in verse 11 of Ephesians 1. Verse 11 of Ephesians 1. Hmm. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of me that can decide whether I want to throw it over or not. Oh, doesn't it? No, what does it say? Who? Who what? Ah! Ah! Right. Now if he works all things after the counsel of his own will, have you got freedom to throw it over? No, because it would have been the counsel of his own will that you should throw it over. You couldn't. <coughs> of course he won't. Simple. It says in the scripture, he causeth you to will and to do of his good pleasure. And when God puts a cause there, you'll do it. When you cause someone to obey you, what does it really mean? Yeah, that's right. Now you see, what God does is, if you walk out of his way, despise not the chastening of the law, for whom he loveth he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receives. So if God has predetermined that you're going to be saved and made holy and blameless, you can walk out of his will in the sense that you can step out. But he will cause you to will and to do of his good pleasure. The cause will be the chastening. There will be such a thing come on your life that you'll say, oh God, mercy. And you'll step right back in and you won't step that far out again. That's the way he causes you to will and to do of his good pleasure. In the same way that I cause my children to will and to do of my good pleasure. It's called the right arm. In other words, you smack their backsides. Now you say, well, that means it's not fair. God God controls us, absolutely. We call him the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, don't we? What did you think he was? Of course it's all under control. He hasn't left anything to chance. And you're not left to chance either. You're going to get saved and you're going to be holy and blameless without, before him. In love, that's the way you're going to be. And God's going to cause you to do it. Yeah, go on, John. That's right, there's only two wills in the world, the will of the devil and the will of God. You're either in grace or you're under the kingdom of darkness. What do you do when you sin? You disobey. No you allow, you see, you can't go your own way, now you're mixing something up, I'm talking about regenerate people now you can allow the flesh and sin to reign in your mortal body, but you can't but you can't do it with impunity, your conscience smites you, doesn't it? no, but, yeah no, no you don't no you don't you don't no you don't no, you don't. What you do, what you do, now you've got to understand this, this is the crux of the whole of the argument in Romans chapter 6, you see. Now that's where many people, uh, uh, you know, and I mean it's noticeable that you and Francis come from the same stock, <laughs> I won't mention <laughs> it. Um, but let me explain something. can tell, inherited from the Anglicans, dear Lord deliver us. Um, no, no. Okay. Now let's 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 just deal with it. We'll deal with it rightly. Okay. I No, no, because that yeah yeah that's the way that is exactly the conclusion that people can come to. That's why Paul says what shall we continue in in sin that grace may abound God forbid how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein know ye not to whom ye yield your members servants to obey his servants you are whom you obey now you're either obeying God or you're obeying the devil but you're not choosing of your own you're choosing whom you'll serve and you're becoming a servant of God or a servant of the devil but you're not free you're a servant of one or the other now that is the the whole crux of Paul's argument you're serving someone you either serve God or you serve the devil now don't think that at any time where you step out and sin you're becoming free what you're becoming is, is an instrument or a weapon against God and his kingdom you are not free Ah, choosing and free will is a different thing. Free will is where you have a choice totally without ever coming under bondage. That you don't have. You have a choosing in the sense that you can choose to serve God or choose to serve the devil, but you, that's the only two choices. Walk God's way or walk the devil's way, but you do not have an opportunity to choose what you want to do you'll be captured by one or the other. That's what I mean. Does that make that clear? And when you say, I can choose, you don't choose. Flesh is the thing, you remember? You've become one spirit with God's spirit. Your soul is purified by Christ. Therefore, you've got to not let sin reign in your mortal body. When you obey the lusts of sin, it's not you that do it, you yourself but it's the flesh, it's no more I that do it, says Paul in Romans 7, but sin that dwelleth in me. So it's not even my choice, it's the choice of sin and the serpent, the man of sin. God's causing you to will and to do of his good pleasure. say, well, I don't like that. That means that it totally takes away... That's why Paul's whole argument in Romans 6, 7 and 8 is so crucial to the understanding of a Christian. Because the very thing that you claim, Francis, is what the Roman church began to say when they heard about grace. Well, if that's the case, surely then I can just say, well, it doesn't matter, I can do what I like. Yeah, that's the way it could go. That is why Romans 6 is what we're studying. And the first thing Paul says in the whole of the argument is, what? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. In other words, he was saying, look here, the one thing you have to understand is because we are changed and we're in grace, the one thing we dare not do is sin. Do you understand? The the whole of the um, teaching of Paul was attacked by the early church and what they claimed in the early church was Paul's teaching would lead to licentiousness. That was what they claimed. Because of his teaching on grace and predestination, they said, well, then it doesn't matter what you do and Paul wrote that letter to the Romans to refute that very accusation that um, what shall we continue in sin that grace may about?" and then he expounds it But what is the truth is that you don't have a choice really in the sense of free will. You do have a choice of whom you serve. Choose who who you'll serve, God or mammon. In that sense, you have a choice. But if you serve mammon, you'll end up serving the devil. Whom you yield your members' servants to obey, his servants you are whom you obey. Remember? (laughs) So you're always going to be serving God or serving Mammon but you'll never ever be free to choose yourself. And if you become a servant of the Satan in the flesh you still won't lose your salvation. You'll be saved as by fire. And I wouldn't like to try that myself. Um, That's a dodgy way of getting the glory. Um, But anyway, God will have foreordained that as well. That's why John writes, they went out from us because they were not of us. All right? Does anyone else have any questions, you know? Persivity will always end up with demonic possession in, in, in the flesh, not, not in any other area. You can't be in the spirit or soul, but in your flesh. Well, that is what a lot of people do. That is where what Francis said is quite true. Um, What a lot of people do is, especially amongst the charismatics, is they say, well, now I'm baptised in the Spirit, we're seated in heavenly places, we're this, we're that, we're the other. They take all the positional stance and they claim it for themselves for reality now, and that's a lie. And then they've gone into deception, and so they live believing they're totally free, and they're not. You've got to work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. That's why I'm making the distinction about not being under law, being in grace. But in grace, I've got to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who worketh in you both are willing to do it his good pleasure.